Hi, I'm Sam Ballerton Crimes. And I'm Alice Billette. This episode of Welcome is the second in a two-part episode where I talk with Kenyan novelist Yvonne Adiyamba O'War. If you haven't already, head on over to our feed and listen to the first part. In The Dragonfly Sea, Yvonne writes about the different ways in which foreigners behave. Some are gracious, others awkward, some reluctant, others arrogant, but always human. She read for me a passage I found particularly funny. It's about development workers and mainland Kenyan elites delivering development to Pate Islanders in the form of a well for drawing water. When the well was ready, which was eight months ago, They had launched it with half-hearted song and speeches in assorted English accents in front of delegations from the rest of the world. A garrulous military man whose coat had more metal than fabric had then led the ambassador to cut a large red bow stuck at the entrance to the well with blunt scissors. And when the first water was drawn from the well and offered to the ambassador to drink, he imbibed it and truth dawned on him. His pained smile informed the islanders that he, too, had discovered what centuries of Pate Island dwellers already knew. Pate's underground water was foul, concentrated salt and had been so for almost 300 years. After that day, this new well was not referred to again. However, the Boots were planning a new heart-soul-mind-winning project that would help Pate Islands help themselves. They were building a pit latrine where no pit latrine had ever been built before. <laughs> I love that passage. <laughs> it's so familiar to me, the way in which they, um, and these are other Kenyans too, like Kenyan and American soldiers, right, that they've rendered themselves foreign by not, um, as you put it, not respecting the ancient codes of hospitality. Not bothering to do their basic research, frankly, you know. Yes. Exactly, the way you put it, they neither asked nor were asked. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another passage in, in Dust, which oh. um, I think is another common way in which people render themselves foreign, mm-hmm. if, if we're going to delve into yes. the meanings of, of this um, mm-hmm. of this term. But this one is is more upsetting, I think more disturbing. Here, Yvonne reads a scene from Dust where the main character, Ajahn, is in Nairobi in early 2008, not long after the post-election violence. Ajahn retreats into a restaurant to compose a newspaper item. She drinks milk-filled coffee and, pen in mouth, stares through a table of huddling black-suited men. Two women looking silently into cups and another woman gesticulating. Updated recycled post-election violence scenes on CNN. Panga-wielding Kenyans setting their country alight, explained in the voice of an Africa specialist from Louisiana, whose accent clangs all over his disapproval. Cut to news from tidy Anglo-Saxon worlds, a sequence of pretty, oddly spaces explained with tender adjectives. Sniggering from another table, a giant overhears the tail end of a joke. We were terrified the country was going to the dogs, but it was worse. It was given to the Africans. She turns. The Joker is a scruffy foreign correspondent type wearing scuffed leather sandals. 
his eyes carried the ravenous gawk of the of must-become-authoritative protagonist of bad African happening types. His bespectacled companions are a droopy man, something of the I-speak-for-Africa worthiness of Bono about him, and a woman with thigh-length brown hair whose painted nails are there to his tanned arm. Catching Ajan's look, she turns a brutal shade of violet. Shh, shh. She makes it sound foreign. The waiter says to them, Anything else, sir? He's unperturbed in a Nairobi way. Surprise me, the look says. Surprise me and witness my indifference. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's tragic, really, <laughs> but also familiar. Yeah. <laughs> As the biggest city in East Africa, Nairobi, Kenya's capital, is a bit of a hub for the do-gooder types, as well as the adventurers. The city attracts expats there to judge or to help. Some pride themselves on knowing the place so well, they think they've earned the right to make racist jokes about it. These kinds of foreigners are always outsiders. Like the colonial British, they don't know how to behave as guests. You kind of wonder why, what's the, what's the psychological process in place here um, to set yourself aside? So what? So so what does that make you uh, superior to what? Uh, something that you've decided you're superior to? Uh, but that also means that you don't look within yourself and you don't understand that you're a caricature. You become a caricature of the human being. So this is my kind of like my poking into the eye of the kind of the development, social development uh, uh, disastrous types that I had the misfortune of, of encountering. Yvonne herself worked in the development sector for a while, but became rapidly disillusioned with it. And perhaps it's my way of dealing with, uh, uh, what do you call it, the loss of innocence. So then they will show up as villains. So, you know, one does not, one of the best ways of creating, re- of getting revenge, you don't get revenge, you get even, turn them into characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope I don't see myself in it. <laughs> no, you, of course, I said, no, it's, it's, remember I said they other themselves. Yeah. And you don't. It's about also the, you know, I, I believe in the, I don't believe in the, in, in the restricted nation state. I believe in the, Boundary net, boundarylessness of like souls. So, I mean, I, I hope I am of your tribe. I know you're of my tribe, yeah, and it's a kind of recognition um, based on the things that not only piss us off, but the things that we hope, the things we dream. They're the same kind of tears that we shed. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. My, my my tribe has no nation, and 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 we are many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We are many. We are many. Yeah. It can be hard to say those things, though, that we are of the same tribe. I don't feel like I'm like the expat journalists in the Nairobi bar, but I also don't want to erase or ignore the colonial past and how I've benefited from it by drowning it in my good intentions. I don't want to add to the burden of colonised people by also asking them to legitimate my place in their country. But I don't think it's that clear cut. I don't think there are only those two types of people. I also believe in what Yvonne is saying and the connections that are possible despite it all. The terrain is tricky, but as humans connecting with other humans, maybe there are ways we can navigate it. Yeah, I think we are, certainly in Australia, also here in in Africa, and, and I use that, I use the term Africa, 
um, intentionally there because there is a in this decolonizing moment yeah. there's this you know I, I, there's a lot of policing yes how african is this is this afrocentric um you know there's policing around whiteness and so on which i think you know i think it has it it, it performs some important functions mm-hmm. but um what i so enjoyed in reading your books was the lack of policing I'm so I'm so disinterested in the policing, especially because of where it comes from. Um, I'm profoundly indifferent to that. I'm glad it shows in my work. Policing is one-dimensional compared to the relationships Yvonne portrays, but she's far from naive. She doesn't need to police because she shows how colonialism worked and how it still works. Yvonne reads here a short passage from Dust. I won't say too much about it, no spoilers here, but Hugh is a British settler in what they called the White Highlands in the 1950s, trying to make a new life in Kenya with his young wife. In time, whatever Hugh desired, he touched and claimed. The houseboy, my Kavirondo, the Waliangulu hunter, my tracker, the cook, my Mpishi, the all-purpose repairman, my Indian fundi. The boatman, my Lamu oarsman, the dead elephant, my trophy. Kenya, my country, Celine, my wife. The character of Hugh, even though he, he's profoundly unlikable, profoundly unlikable <laughs> to me, um, but you also see he loves this country. Passionately, yes. He does. There are many. Mm. There are many. They're, they are. They and again, you, there's a people you run into, and and uh, yeah, when you obsess about the idea of starting again, I admire Yvonne's graciousness here. She is, I think, generous toward this character, who I loathed for the way in which he thought he possessed Kenya and its people. It's because she sees Hugh as a person not just a symbol of colonialism as I did. And this is also drawn from history. When I was in the archives in the, in the Kenya National, well, you, you also love the archives, mm-hmm. looking at the diaries of the administrators and, and some of the sentiments that kind of leached through uh, the texts that were putting forward, is the idea of, the, of Kenya. Kenya was a place of new beginnings. Right? It was post, it was, the, it was the place of rescue, the place of retreat of the, a hope it is a place where England could retreat to and find another kind of imagination of itself after the war. Uh, so you know, so reading the contrasting, the post-war England was a was a hellish place. So you 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 and then there's this imagination of the Kenya that was you know, it was very specific to I guess the the British imagination, but it was it was a kind of the imagination of Nirvana where it could start again. Uh, you could start a country again um, and do it right. Um, and, and so when you read those diaries and you find these are diaries of human beings who are, uh, who in so many ways have also a right, I think, as human beings um, to love a place. Um, and just because I'm, I'm taking this political position, I, I do not have permission to deny them the right of that sentiment. She insists on seeing all the complexity of the hues of the 1950s 
at the same time as she calls out colonial settlement for what it was. So I treat them as human beings. I say, okay, these are the contradictions in which you find, you, these, are the, these are the paradox in which you find yourself. Um, you have cast, you have projected another home in this place that's also occupied by others. But in your casting of another home in this place, you have no place for those who are actually the, the trustees of the landscape, which then takes me back to the question I asked earlier. Why was it so difficult? Well, why was it impossible for, for British culture um, to, to, to meet another in the space of hospitality and discovery? Yeah, uh, and what was lost by the idea of applying all those uh, notions derived from the so-called age of reason, uh, the colonialism, the capitalism, the imperialism, the nationalisms, yeah, and the and the and the cultural superiority, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a poignant way of putting it that I that I'd never thought about. In, in such a such an articulate way before that but why was it so difficult for them to to approach other people and receive their hospitality yes um, yeah it's it's a beautiful way of putting it putting the question <laughs> and it opens up yeah it does make it more human and it does make us I think ask what are we you know when we any of us move around and we go to new places what what are we looking for yeah yeah and um and what are we willing to receive we're willing to receive and and in the process of receiving what what are we afraid of giving up um because you uh, change change means compromising and it uh, and that compromising means giving up maybe an assumption or a presumption or a familiar position in order to be this more, this, yes, you lose, but you become bigger. Let me read this yeah, or ask you, you read, to read. Why don't you read as well? I love yeah, hearing I, other then people I read your Yes, I, yeah, I really do. It would be my pleasure. <laughs> I don't know, I really do prefer that. Okay, so he, here we're encountering Mze Kitwana Kipifi. <laughs> Mze is Swahili for old man. It's a title that shows respect. The character is of Chinese origin, but well and truly incorporated into Pate society. Kipifit is a play on words. He ran a lot. You know, kept fit. Also, was I freaking out that my favourite author was about to hear me read her work? Yes. Did I love every second of it? Yes. Yes, I did. Pate Island had seeped into Mze Kitwana Kipifit's soul. Now he was struggling with the question of leaving Pate. Every day he honoured the needs of the ghost sailors he now felt were his own. When he was not fishing, he tended to the tombs that he now suspected dated from the Tang Dynasty era, not just the Ming, an older legacy, his shadow community. Looking after the tombs allowed him to believe he was atoning for the lost phantoms he had created through his previous work. Another time, another world. And every day he found another reason to linger. But he knew his self-distancing from China was not as complete as it could have been. With the violent arrival of crude military interlopers, he was stirred to act. In Pate, he thought... Perhaps there was a way to secure a heritage of rightful belonging. His mind raced. 
So here there's a, you know, there's a real human and, and he's a, he, he's a rich character that I won't say too much about mm-hmm. um, for people who, who will want to read the book. But he, um, he, he he's making very human connections between China and Kenya mm-hmm. um, in his relationships with people and his desire for that belonging, but also to maintain his Chinese-ness yes, yes. at the same time. Mzee Kipifit was instrumental in identifying that Pate Island had people of Chinese descent, including Ayana, the main character. China's growing diplomatic and economic dominance in Africa is changing the face of the continent and leading some to wonder if it is the new imperial power or if things might be different this time. The, the You know, the codes of hospitality we talked about, mm. um, not in a perfect way, but they have applied that quite uh, successfully. Um, so it is, uh, the conversations are about, you know, we are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. We just managed to implement a couple of things and we can share our experiences with you in exchange for, you know, these loans that are given without any questions. Chinese aid in the region is rapidly outpacing traditional aid donors like the U.S., but in turn, also, it also means um, some of our people will be coming to settle here. Uh, again, it's fascinating that um, the settlement of the Chinese right across the continent um, and in Kenya, uh, the fact that you can find persons of Chinese origin living in Mathare and living the mm-hmm. daily life in Mathare, mm-hmm. um, roasting maize, mm-hmm. is... Uh, fascinating in that it it does mirror an older way of uh, encountering and creating belonging in a faraway land um it's not violent it's not it's not full of uh, myths of superiority and separation and separation mathare is an informal settlement in nairobi it's not home to any white expats but it is home to some chinese immigrants but it's also the most effective means of um, gaining access and control, mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe those are, how, those are how countries are formed. Maybe in 100 years, um, the dominant race in East Africa will be persons of... The thing is not just Chinese origin. People forget that. Um, the, the gift of encounters also means that new races are formed. Uh, people fall in love. Yes, they do. And children are born mm-hmm. and other identities are always created. The fluidity of that, which is very obvious, certainly in, along the Swahili coast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's it's so different. Like it's so palpable in Nairobi. The, um, you know, Wazungu visitors, white visitors are so often associated with particular neighbourhoods, particular malls, that there is such a stark separation. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That's not that's not exactly what is happening. They, they have their Chinatowns and their places where they, yes. they you know, they bring home here. Right. Um, but, yeah, there, there, there's an integration. Um, it's a loaded word, but there's, an, there's an integration that yeah, is um, so different from... From what happened, but but I, I think we, since you talk about the Wazungu neighborhoods, that's also divided in itself. So they're the what are they? The two year wonders? Yes, 
<laughs> and then there are those who are or Kenyan citizens who actually use the Kenyan passport as a kind of badge of honor mm-hmm. <laughs> and really authenticity belong. and belonging. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, and then there's separation. Yeah. So that, that too is also wonderfully divided. Yes. Yeah, the the staying and the leaving is is another theme that I think is really interesting in the book and mm-hmm. and um this issue of time and duration. If you if you don't stay and if you don't return, mm-hmm. then how much you understand and how much you um, can connect on mm-hmm. on that human level mm-hmm. um, is constrained. I think, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that is that a theme that you consciously? Um, no, not consciously. I guess because it's. I think it's my own uh, struggle. Mm. Yeah, my 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 peripatetic existence which I used to resist. I've just succumbed to it and saying, fine, I'm a migrant bird then. And the push and pull of home, the delight of entering new worlds and new places, uh, finding, running into members of the tribe, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, falling in love with places like Berlin and, with, and, and, and even though people say, how could you, as if I've betrayed the universe. I said, I can't help it. It's not my fault. It's a place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's that policing again. That yeah, you know, yeah. um, these are the places you're allowed to feel you belong, and these are the places you are not allowed. Allowed to, to you're feel not you belong. Yeah, I've been trying this card. I said, well, I can't help it. It's not my fault. Yeah, uh, it happened. I like Berlin. So what? <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and it's a very universal thing for people to want to travel. Yes. and to fall in love with place. With place, but uh, and and uh, I've got I've got nomadic antecedents. I've got nomadic ancestors. So mm, the idea of 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 the what do you call it the fluidity and flexibility of of place and home is in my DNA. Um, that's that's one. Um, but the second thing is I, I I think I put I put a phrase out. I uh, I found I found a cutting where a, a nomad. Uh, from Kenya, who was in Ethiopia, uh, who had ended up in Somalia with his cattle. He says that whatever place provides me with pasture and food and shelter for my art, for my cattle, is my home. So for me, whatever place gives shelter and food and nurture to my art is my home. That's beautiful. Um, okay, well, we, we might have to finish up. I'm so reluctant to, I feel like we could talk forever. I still have so many passages I would love to hear you read. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I guess I will just finish by, um, thanking you for your hospitality and for, um, opening up, uh, your, your art and your, um, and your, your thoughts and your dreams and your reflections um, with us. It's been such a privilege. So thank you so much. And thank you, Samantha. Thank you for your questions as well. Thank you for their incisive nature. So, yes, thank you. It's been a privilege and pleasure as well. Yes. Oh, the privilege is The Welcome Podcast is based in Nam on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. 
Nam is more commonly known as Melbourne, Australia. This episode was produced by me, Dr Sam Ballaton-Crimes. It was recorded at Zamar Studios in Nairobi. Script supervision and editing by James Milsom. Theme music composed by John Bartley. Special thanks to Nazanin Zayda Cummings and Samuel Juguna. If you like this show and haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. It helps spread the word about the show and we really appreciate it. <laughs>